there. I'm your host, Leslie Randolph. I'm a self-confidence coach for teenage girls and the self-confidence coach you wish you had as a teen. Honestly, I'm the self-confidence coach I wish I had as a teen because I know I could have saved myself and my mother a whole lot of heartache if I'd only known then what I know now. I hope to save you some of that suffering by sharing the lessons I learned late in life right here on Why Didn't They Tell Us. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, happy people. Welcome back to Why Didn't They Tell Us. I'm your host, Leslie Randolph, and I'm a self-confidence coach for teenage girls and the teenage girl that still exists in all of us. In my private coaching practice, I help teens and young adults ditched out by teaching them the skill of cultivating self-confidence. I say it often. I'm going to say it lots more. But the foundation of self-confidence is to know who you are, to love and believe in you, to trust you. A key component of cultivating self-confidence is to stop the behaviors that chip away at it, beating yourself up, compromising your voice and values for the approval of others, shaming and blaming yourself, making your failures mean something about you second-guessing yourself at every turn, not honoring your wants and desires, not taking care of you. Do you recognize any of these behaviors in yourself, in your daughter? If so, this episode is for you. Y'all, I had this guest on my wish list since before I even launched the podcast because I know her message and her mission is critical to cultivating self-confidence. I am so excited to welcome Sarah Bysby Fisk to the show. Sarah is the, and I put it in capital, T-H-E, the Stop People Pleasing Coach. She is the visionary behind the Stop People Pleasing program and the host of the X Good Girl podcast. Sarah, welcome to the show. I am ridiculously excited to be here. Thanks. Looking forward to it all week, seriously. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that because it's very much shared. And um, as as you know now, I've been looking forward to it for months, actually, <laughs> actually years. Because when I launched my business, I was like, I'm I'm launching the podcast, and I had to so, slow my roll a bit because <laughs> my my eyes were bigger than my yeah. ability at that time. <laughs> but here we are. I'm so excited. So let's just kick it off with telling the listeners who you are what you do, and why you do it. Tell us Tell us your story. I am a master certified instructor and coach, and I coach women who don't listen to your podcast early enough in their life to take care of their people-pleasing, and they grow up to be the adult versions, and they are absolutely so sick and tired of the way people-pleasing is running their life. People-pleasing, perfectionism, codependency. Um, and the reason that I chose this niche and do this work is 100% autobiographical. I I grew up um, with a lot of circumstances that gave me a very narrow view of who I should be and what I should do. Um, some of that was, you know, religious organization and then, you know, family and culture organizations. But it what it produced was me, a, a human who was just constantly looking outside of herself 
for approval, for validation that I was doing it right. Um, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you think I'm okay? Do you think I'm doing this right? That was really a lot of, um, my adolescence, you know, college and growing up. And then when you, when you grow up thinking that it doesn't just go away. And so as an adult, I had a lot of those same validation seeking behaviors. And I just, I was constantly anxious and worried about disappointing other people, worried that they weren't going to like what I did or who I was. And so I was doing a lot of performing for other people and pretending everything's fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And um, I think there's a beautiful moment that happens throughout your life. You know, it can happen in adolescence and adulthood and late adulthood where you get a glimpse of yourself when you're really uncomfortable. You're like, why do I feel so bad right now? And one of those windows happened for me as I was becoming a coach. And as I slowed down and I was like, why do I feel so bad? Why do I feel so stuck? Why am I anxious all the time? And one of the biggest reasons for that was my people pleasing. And so that's what brought me, I mean, I really wanted to feel relief for myself first and foremost. And then as I found tools and used them and applied them and studied them and found more tools and researched them and applied them and studied them, it just became obvious that this is what I wanted to do for everyone. I, I want every single woman to feel the freedom that happens when you stop people pleasing. We're all so thankful you did that you did that emotional heavy lifting in your own life to be like, no, no more. So for today's show, just so we're all working, you know, singing from the same script, can you give us your definition of people pleasing? Yes. Uh, and I love this question because everybody knows what people pleasing is based on how it feels in their body. So people, I define people pleasing as the internal feeling of being without a choice or stuck. Mm -hmm. So you are so overly connected to everyone outside of you and you are under connected to yourself, your own wants, your own desires that you literally feel like I have no choice. I can't, I can't not go to the party. She'll be mad. I can't say no to the PTA president she'll be upset with me. I have to do this thing. It's a, it's a, a feeling that you don't have a choice that you have to either do something or not do it because of what other people will think. Mm, yeah. Living our lives through the lens of other people versus that, that inner connection. And yeah, yes. that uncomfortableness of like wearing clothes that don't fit because it's not you. I totally get that. So why do you think I mean, I'm sitting here just nodding and saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I can assume so many others are. Why is this such a prevalent behavior, and particularly for women, and I would assume teenage girls? I see it with my clients as well. Why do we do this? That is actually one of my favorite discussions to have. I think it's fascinating because in everything that I have read and observed and researched, people-pleasing is unavoidable. We are all taught to people please. And here's how it happens. 
When a baby is born, it has no ability to take care of itself, to provide for its own needs. And there's a primal programming that teaches it to cry when it's uncomfortable. So the baby cries, someone comes and takes care of it. So from our earliest beginnings, we our brain starts to make the connection. When I behave in this way, when I cry, someone comes and helps me. I mean, hopefully in tragic cases, sometimes, you know, the cry is not answered with a loving response. And so there are babies who just don't cry anymore. They've learned to not use that behavior to get attention because it doesn't work. But in healthy relationships where there is a responsive caregiver, I cry, somebody feeds me. I cry, somebody changes my diaper. And then as the baby grows, there's an increasing awareness of behaviors that the big people in my life like. Have you ever been holding a baby and the baby smiles and you smile really big at the baby and then the baby smiles really big back, right? The baby's like, oh, she likes this. I'm going to do, oh, I'm getting a good, oh, oh, I'm going to do this some more, right? And so very, very early, there is a connection between a behavior and a reward. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so, it's, it's brilliant. You and I are here today because we were good people pleasers. We, we did the behaviors that our caregivers responded to and took care of us. And so this idea of I behave a certain way, I get, there's some kind of reaction or reward. We learn that we don't get to run out in the street, right? That we have to sit at our desk and do our work. So the numbers of adults in our lives who start teaching us the rules of how we should behave just increases. And so we learn, I keep the rule, I get a reward. I break the rule, I get punished. Mm. And so that very, very primal programming happens from the very beginning And so the way I like to think about it is people pleasing is how we get our needs met. We need human connection, kindness, love, friendship, belonging. And when we behave in a way, when we're little, when we behave in a way that our caregivers love, they they reward us with holding us, loving us, giving us hugs and kisses, telling us they're proud of us. And we want that. We need it. We can't live without it. So that's, that lens, it sounds good. It sounds good. Yes. That is actually my message. People pleasing is not a problem. It is actually, well, it, it gets a little sticky because everybody calls it, you know, people pleasing and that has a negative connotation, but literally learning how to behave so that you are taken care of by the adults in your life. That's good. That's good. The problem happens because later in life, we are never taught how to not people please. That's the problem. We spend so much of our life and our developmental um, capacity learning how to please people because our survival depends on it and our connections and our friendships and our love, you know, uh, in, in family and other groups depends on it. We get so good at the skill of people pleasing that we just don't learn how to not people please when later in life we have our own ideas about how we want to behave. And that's when we feel stuck. Yeah. That I only see two routes, please them and compromise myself or she'll be mad at me. They'll be disappointed in me. They'll let me down. Yes. Yeah. And then it, 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 
it becomes literally, who do I disappoint? Do I disappoint myself by just doing what other people want all the time? Or do I disappoint other people and have to feel the discomfort of that? So it's uncomfortable either way. But I assume that there, I mean, as I think about it through that self-confidence lens, there is a, a detriment to choosing well, A, of course, there's a detriment to only seeing two options, right? But when you're consistently choosing their comfort, their happiness over your own, that really um, takes away that self-confidence and that self-trust. Because oftentimes, um, it's it's saying yes when you want to say no. It's, it's going against what you want. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to something that you said in the beginning. You said, why is it that women and young girls are particularly, and it is because everyone developmentally has that same experience of get, doing a behavior to get a reward, no matter what your gender, no matter what your socialization is. But women have the added layer of the programming of the patriarchy that tells us we need to be nice. We need to be kind. We need to be worried about what other people want and need, that we need to be taking care of other people's wants and needs before our own. And that is actually what a good girl does, a good woman, a good wife. So if you are programmed for self-sacrifice, then you self-sacrifice. And that's the extra layer of of um, programming that women have to see and be able to overcome because it's in what how we are taught from very young that other people should be the focus of our attention and what we do. Yeah, totally. And if you aren't that, if you aren't serving, self-sacrificing, then you're a bad girl. And if you're a bad girl, you're now going against those rules upon which we just learned we're so important, we're so necessary for our very survival. So it it kind yes. of makes sense. Yeah. And in particular, when we don't keep those rules, we feel cut off. We feel disconnected. We feel like we have lost the the thing that we need the most, which is connection, belonging, and friendship, and love. And that's why it's, it's no wonder to me that everyone people pleases because the cost of not people pleasing is oftentimes people's disapproval and disappointment in you. And that's that those are hard emotions to feel. Yeah, but I assume they're, I know they're necessary. You know, we can't avoid the human experience. We can't always be out there you know, seeking other people's approval to avoid their disappointment because ultimately then we're disappointed in ourselves, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so what happened, I'm you know, going to go back to what I said. There becomes a time, sometimes when you're young, it happens when you're an adult, you get a peek into like, why do I feel so bad? What's going on here? What's causing this stuck feeling. And when you feel that, that is an invitation to understand yourself better. And so if your listeners, I mean, I remember this all, I remember Melanie Hall in seventh grade telling me that I had to pick 
between her and, and, and Cindy Brock, right? I couldn't be friends with both of them. I had to pick. And I remember walking around at lunch and just thinking, why do I feel so bad? Why, why does this feel like sad and stuck? Like, I, I don't know how to figure this out. And so when situations like that come up where you're feeling some stuckness, it's usually because you're afraid of disappointing someone else. And that is very, very valid. But the choice is, do I disappoint myself? And do I tell Melanie Hall that it's fine that she she can, she really is the boss of me and she gets to tell me who I can be friends with and who I can't be friends with? Or do I risk disappointing her and telling her, you know what, I'm going to be friends with who I want to be friends with. And that's actually not a decision that you get to make for me. And then tolerate my own feeling of like, ooh, she might be mad. She might be, she she might think ill of me. But the second kind of disappointment actually moves me in the direction of the person I want to be. That's the difference. There's always two negative feelings. But one type of, let's just go with disappointment again. If I disappoint myself and I tell Melanie Hall, okay, you're right, I pick you then I'm disappointing myself and I have to feel that. But if I choose to disappoint her, I'm still feeling negative emotion. Maybe I'm anxious, but it's moving me in the direction of being the person that I want to be, who stands up for myself, who says the things that I want to say, who expresses my opinions and wants and needs. I love that example so much because it shows like the journey of an emotion, the journey of the human experience. Sometimes we have to make it through anxiety, discomfort, all those feels that we prefer not to feel. It might just be easier to say, Melanie Hall, I'll do it because we can avoid that. But on the other side of that anxiety, on the other side of that discomfort was probably a bit of pride and just even a little bit of that self-confidence. You might not feel it at first because it's, it's so watered down with the discomfort and the anxiety, but no doubt it's there because you advocated for you. You stood yes. up for you. I think one of the most essential lessons that we are not taught is that, or we are not explicitly taught, is that there is no growth without some discomfort. It it just doesn't happen. And so if you are going to be growing and it doesn't matter if you're growing by learning a new instrument or learning a new exercise or learning to stand up for yourself. All of those new activities require discomfort, the discomfort of practicing, the discomfort of being sore after you participate in a sport or the discomfort of some anxiety when you worry about who might have a negative opinion of you, but you know that you have stood up for yourself and said what you wanted to say. Oh, Sarah, I think that's so key. Yeah. If we want to get good or great at anything, we need to be willing to be bad. We need to be willing to feel that discomfort and that awkwardness that comes with. And no doubt if we are, you know, very conditioned to this people pleasing and we've been doing it, doing it for so long and we've been getting that external reward and that external approval and that external validation. It's going to feel awful. It will. It will feel like a muscle you have never exercised before. But I think so often when we feel that, we're like, our brains tell us like, something's gone wrong. We need to turn back. Let's go back to the behavior that we've done all the time. 
but then we stay exactly where we are. It's just trading one discomfort for the other. That literally is it. And oftentimes the discomfort that we are used to seems easier. So disappointing myself because I've done it for so long, it's a familiar disappointment. It's fine. I don't get what I want. It's okay. It doesn't matter. And I have, I usually have a lot of like really good ways of even minimizing my experience. Like you're fine. It's not that big a deal. Don't make such a, don't, you're so needy. You're so dramatic. Why is this matter? Right. I, I have many girls and women have learned how to minimize their own needs so they don't feel the pain of it. But when we are moving in the direction of new discomfort, it can often feel much bigger in the beginning, just because it's new, not because it's something that we're not able to do. It's just something we haven't done before. And so it feels new. It's a new discomfort. Totally. Totally. Um, you just touched on something that I know you talk about a lot in on the podcast and something that I talk about a lot with my clients and, and on the show, that chatter, that inner chatter of it's not a big deal, you're fine, those voices that are coming from inside your head. Um, I want to say, a I'm going to quote you to you, but I want you to talk about it because it was one of, it was one of those moments that like, you said it twice on the podcast, and I hope I don't screw it up. Sarah said something, and, and I think it speaks to this. When we have and believe that inner chatter, we are not making our brain a safe space. And what Sarah said was, if you are not safe within yourself, you aren't safe anywhere. And I, I just like, even saying it right now, I feel all the chills. Because it's like you're lying to you when you say, it's fine, it doesn't matter. Your needs don't matter. Can you speak to that a little bit, the, the chatter and then the, the effects of it? Yes. I, if, if, oh, I just wish I could sit down with every one of your listeners and put my arm around her and just say, if you learn nothing else, this is it. You have a voice in your brain that sounds like your voice. If it was like Darth Vader's voice interrupting your thoughts, you would clue in pretty quickly that that's not your voice, right? But the, the, the tricky thing is our thoughts come into our brain in our own voice. And so they're hard to detect as bullying and they start very young and we aren't aware of it until we feel really bad. And sometimes the question to start with is, how am I talking to myself? Because when we allow ourselves to bully ourselves, I mean, think about the meanest bully you know at your school. And think about living with that person all the time in your head. And you just don't know it because it's your own voice that you hear. What is the matter with you? What, what is your problem? Why do you act like that? You are so dumb. Why are you doing that? They're all looking at you. Like those sentences, we miss them as bullying because they're, they're in our own voice, but it is absolutely like living with someone tearing you down. The way that you feel it is maybe you're always just a little anxious. 
Maybe you're always looking around and checking on yourself. How do I look? How do other people? Are they looking at me like I'm okay? Do they think I'm okay? You're constantly self-policing and it is exhausting. And what it does is create that anxiety of I'm not safe even just with me. There's no place that I can go where I am not possibly going to be bullied by myself at any minute. If I make any mistake, if I do anything that might, I, I, I might consider bad or wrong. And so the anxiousness that we've grow up with, oh, it just, it breaks my heart. I have felt it. I have witnessed it. And it is because that bully that lives in our brain must be silenced. It is such an important work for us to do. Yeah. And, and it's not easy. Well, especially because, yeah, exactly. The, 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 uh, Car- Carol Lowenthal, the calls coming from inside the building. So you can't discern that it's, it's not true. Like <laughs> that you can challenge that voice. And that I think is where, you know, people pleasing becomes a problem because you don't even have an ally within yourself. So that is, again, it pushes you into that corner of, I only have these two options. And if I'm so mean to me anyway, I often talk to my clients about, um, the bestie voice and the bully voice. And I know you speak to this on the podcast because we would never talk to our best friend in the way that we talk about, talk to ourselves. That's right. We would never, we would never say it to our daughters. We would never say it to, I know you too. And I have one in my room, a picture of my younger self. I would never say that to her. So why do we say it to ourselves? I mean, and that might not be even a question you can answer, but I mean. I, I think it's just because it starts very young and nobody ever tells us, hey, watch out. Because you might hear your own voice being really mean to you. So watch out for that. Nobody ever says that. And so we grow up with this internalized self-monitoring that in some ways is very helpful. It's like, you know, the same voice that tells me, don't pick your nose at the dinner table also tells me you're such, you're such an idiot. Why did you say that? Right. And so it's this, it's an interesting relationship with self-monitoring and self awareness that I think once we know, I love the way you say it, the the bully voice and the bestie voice, that is a clear distinction. Am I talking to myself in my bestie voice? Hey, you're doing such a great job today. Thanks for showing up. I really, I'm so impressed with the way that you keep trying to learn algebra, even though we both know it's impossible to learn. I think that you're amazing for the way that you smiled at that girl in the hallway right? That is such a beautiful voice to develop. We just have to be told to do it. And it's one of the things, you know, why didn't they tell us? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you are onto something because if we're not aware of that voice in our head, because we might not be right. That might be one of those new muscles y'all need to strengthen of getting really in tune with the sentences that are running through that beautiful brain of yours. But If you can't yet hear it, Sarah just gave us such an incredible tell. If you can't hear the voice, check in with your body. Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling stuck? That is your body signaling to you something's going on up there. 
that's yeah. making you feel that way. And we need to learn to tune in to it. And only then can we change it, right? If, we, if we're not even aware of it, no way can we change it. So we need to be willing to listen and then be willing to challenge it just a little if she's not being very nice to you. My favorite exercise for this is to just take my hand and put it on my chest. If I'm ever feeling anxious or off, to do that and just ask, hey, how are you doing? And just take some deep breaths and just slow down for me for a second. And it's going to take probably several times of doing that. But to be able to check in with yourself regularly will be such a huge um, practice in finding your anxiousness, in finding, am I in the bestie voice right now? Or am, am I in the bully voice right now? Just slow down and check in. Yeah, that's so good because our brains are moving at a mile a minute. And so it requires that taking a beat and a breath and to slow down enough to even tune in with it and to check in with how we're feeling. Oftentimes those feelings are so awful. We want to just like rush through them and move on. And, and interestingly, the easiest way to do that is probably to slip back into that old behavior of people pleasing or looking externally to feel better versus doing that internal work. A hundred percent. It takes, like I mean, like we've been talking about to change something takes some discomfort and sometimes the discomfort is just, I'm going to watch for this. I'm going to be on top of this. I'm not just going to let it go. Whenever I'm feeling anxious, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to check in with myself. Even that, building a new habit of awareness can help you to unravel what is often, I mean, I, I had a lot of anxiousness growing up and well into adulthood. I really don't think I started really feeling my anxiety until about five years ago. And I'm going to be 50 this year. So if you can just develop the awareness of slowing down when you don't feel good and checking in, that is going to serve you in such a huge, huge way. 100%. So I love that tool that you just gave us of, you know, putting your hand, taking a moment, asking yourself, how are you feeling? What are some other tools? I mean, and that's great for emotional regulation and checking in with the chatter. Um, what other tools would you give my listeners who maybe I can identify a little bit with everything that you've said? Y'all, we all can, okay? Because we're, we're biologically programmed to do it. Um, but when they've now reached that place where people-pleasing is problematic, what are some tips, tools, practices to shift from that space of people-pleasing and chipping away at your self-confidence to bolstering that belief in you and that love and trust in you? This eliminating the, the bully is actually the essential work that has to be done first. So whenever I catch the bully talking to me in my brain, I do one of two things. So the first tool, I just call it the hard pass. And when that bully starts up, I just say, no, 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 no. I will not speak to myself that way. No one speaks to me that way. Not even me. So no, we are not going to do that. 
And then I get up and I move my body. I walk around the room or I just kind of shake my arms and move them around because that kind of motion actually helps your nervous system to calm down. Other times I try what I call loving engagement, which is just giving myself a hug and saying, oh, it's okay. We're beating ourselves up again. We do this. It's a habit that we've had for a while, but it's all right. Nothing's gone wrong. I love you. We're not going to stay here. We're not going to continue to do this. So you end up in the same place. It's a no, but sometimes that really powerful no, no feels really good. And other times a more loving and tender approach feels really nurturing and really beautiful. So either one of those are available to you. And what I would love for your listeners to do is just try them. When you hear that bully voice, just pick one and cut it off. Because much like you would never allow someone you loved to be bullied by another person, you would take their hand, you would get them out of there, you would say, we're not doing this, this is not happening. You need to do that for yourself. And the reason that it is so essential to do that for yourself is so that you are safe with you. And you know that no matter what, I am not going to beat myself up. Even if I make a mistake, even if I do something that later I wish I wouldn't have done, I am not going to beat myself up. Yeah. The reason that that is so essential is because when you're going to not people please someone. You're going to have to feel some negative emotion. And if you're beating yourself up on top of it, it's, it's going to be too hard. Right? So if let's go back to my Melanie Hull and Cindy Brock, wouldn't that be funny if they actually heard that? They, they heard this <laughs> Melanie, episode you do it again. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, seriously, like their names are memorialized in my brain. So Melanie was very popular. And Cindy was not. And I really enjoyed Cindy was like one of my goofy, nerdy, like theater friends. And Melanie was blonde cheerleader. Like the, it, it's almost classic high school because it was. I think this just classic high school stuff. There's a reason why people make movies like this, right? Totally. So she's like, you can't be friends with her anymore. She's weird. We don't want her coming on our, you know, group friend things. And <clears throat> If I have the self-trust, if I have stopped beating myself up, then I know I can disappoint Melanie and I can handle it. I'm going to feel nervous. I'm going to feel sad, but I'm not going to be beating myself up on top of that. So I can handle disappointing another person because I have my own back. So that is why this work of eliminating the bully and being in your bestie voice with yourself is so essential because when we go out into the world to try new things, it's scary and uncomfortable. And if on top of the scary and uncomfortable, we're going to be really mean to ourselves, that's, that's really hard to do. But if I know, listen, Sarah, I've got you. I am not going to be mean to you about your decisions. Then I can say to Melanie, you know what? I actually really like Cindy and I want to be friends with her. And your opinion about it really is irrelevant. Whew. And I can feel all the anxiety. Like I probably wouldn't have said that as eloquently as a seventh grader, but I would have said something like, no, I like Cindy and I want to be friends with her. And 
the discomfort of that, I can handle it because I'm not going to be mean to myself on top of it. Yes. I often say that to my clients of like, we sometimes forget, particularly in high school and middle school, when it's so necessary to our social survival that everybody like us, that we are our forever friend. We are our true ride or die. Sarah didn't say any of this, but I assume Melanie is not in her life anymore. But Sarah's still there. And now here's the other thing that I want to say. I'm just going to digress for a moment. Sarah could have said, okay, Melanie, I, I'm with you and, and dropped her other friend. We can't control Melanie. Melanie could drop you next week too. And now you've compromised yourself. You've lost a friend and you lost Melanie. So that is why being true to you, even when it's so hard, even when it's so uncomfortable is so critical because you're the one you're with. You might as well like her. You might as well love her and take care of her. I love that example. That's so perfect of it didn't feel good, but you had a friend there to get you through it. And that friend was you. Yes. And my longest relationship is always going to be with me. No matter who else is in and out of my life, the the person I will have the longest relationship with, the most interaction with is me. Absolutely. And when we're always looking externally for our worth, our validation, it's going to 1000% always cause anxiety because it's always out of our control. Yeah. Yeah. So those two tools, the hard pass, loving engagement really just mean, how do I want to shut the bully up? Do I want to do it with a strong no? Or do I want to do it with a little more love and tenderness? Once that, once you have gotten good at using those tools or even just practicing them, it is a lifelong pursuit. And I will tell you right now, there just doesn't seem to be, like I said, 50 this year, there doesn't seem to be a time when you don't have to be your own best friend regularly in different ways. Different ways will pop up throughout your life, but the pattern of stopping that bullying voice will, will really just be such a gift in your life. So you also asked, what kind of tool could I offer once they're aware of, you know, I'd like to do something about this people pleasing. The most important thing you can do is not say yes in the moment. So Melanie actually said to me, you have to pick right now. Is it me or is it Cindy Brock? Now, If I had had this tool then, I would have said, you know what? I need to think about that. I'll get back to you. In the moment, we are flooded with stress hormones. We're anxious. Our brain is racing. That is a very, very normal reaction to being put on the spot. And whether it's you have to be friends, you know, you have to pick your friend right now. Or, hey, do you want to come to this party with us? Or, hey, any kind of request that we get when we feel that internal, like, oh, that stuckness, that, oh, I don't like this, to memorize a phrase that you can use to buy you some time. I'd love to think about that and get back to you, or I need to think it through. Because in that moment of high stress and high anxiety, you lose access to the smartest part of your brain. 
the place where we think about our values, the place where we think about like, who do I want to be in the world? What's important to me? What are my needs here? What do I want to have happen? All of that literally goes dark. And I'm sure that you, all of your listeners can think of a time when it felt like you were so stressed, you literally could not think. That's because it's true. That's what actually happens in those moments. And so the best thing you can do is to not make a decision when you don't have access to the thinking part of your brain and you're stressed. That is gold. That is gold for a teenager, for all of us. Moms, are you listening to when they ask you to join the PTO and you're like, I said I wasn't going to do it. I said I wasn't going to do it. Ah! (laughs) And then you do. That's so important because it gives you a moment to take that beat, take that breath, check in with you and, and yeah, access and calm down. Yes. Just to calm down because only when you're calm, can you do the next thing, which is, I just call it forecasting, which means just pretending like, what if I tell Melanie that I want to be friends with Cindy? What's that going to be like? What is she going to say? What she, what she, what if I tell, what if I do? So you just give yourself a second to think it through and then ask yourself, what's important to me here? What kind of person do I want to be? And I fully realize that when you're in seventh grade, you don't really care necessarily about being a good person in the world as much as you're like, what is, what's going to, make me happy? What's going to keep me safe? What's going to... And so your ability to do that develops as you grow, but it gives you a pause where you can forecast and just take a guess at the best decision for you when you have access to your thinking brain. What are my values? What do I want to have happen here? So So when you take a pause, then you can forecast. So good. In my practice, I I wonder what you think about this. In my practice, I talk about, because we often do this, but I think we do it from that not calm state. We do it from that heightened, highly stressed, all we can see is worst case scenario state. I have it called, I call it emotional forecasting, interestingly, where it's like, I know exactly how I'm going to feel when this all falls apart. And I think that that's only available when we're in that totally heightened state. But from that more calm state, we can do an emotional forecasting. That actually then makes room for, I am going to feel uncomfortable if I say this. I am going to feel maybe disapproved of, but I think only from that calm state then can you say, and I'm willing to feel that, that what is might exa- exist on the other side. That's exactly why we do it. Because step number three is to choose the discomfort that you want to feel on purpose. That's, that's exactly it. And you can't make a choice about, do I want to disappoint Melanie Hall or do I want to disappoint myself in a heightened emotional state when you're, when you're totally not, you know, you've lost access to the thinking part of your brain. So you pause, then you forecast, and then you pick which discomfort am I willing to feel on purpose because I like my reasons for it. So good. Oh, I love that. Sarah, as we wrap up, and I don't know if it's a message you would have to seventh grade you, because we don't know how you handled the Melanie situation. 
So if it's seventh grade you, if it's teenage you, what what would you tell her from this older, wiser, more compassionate place that you are in? Such a good question. And I will tell you, I chose Melanie. And sometimes we look back on decisions that we made and we have some judgment for it. And this is what I would say. I deeply, deeply believe we are always doing the best that we can. And so I look back on the Melanie Hull, Cindy Brock thing. I wish I would have acted differently. I do. But I am not going to beat myself up for it. I wish I could wrap my arms around her and say, it's all going to be okay. The choices that you're making right now, you're doing your best. I know you are. I know you're worried about things like being popular and who likes you and who doesn't like you. And that's very, very normal. It won't always be this way. It's going to be okay. So beautiful, Sarah. It's so beautiful and such a wonderful lesson for all of us, whether we're still in the thick of our Melanie's or, you know, we're watching our daughters face their Melanie's. We're all just doing our best. That's where that compassion comes in. We didn't even touch on this iceberg, but I want to just say something. And maybe maybe Sarah will be gracious enough to come back because the goal here, my friends, is not perfection. There is no perfection. There is no place where you are free of your people-pleasing tendencies, where you are, you know, where you've made it. <laughs> I've done it. I think Sarah would agree. We are still eternal works in progress, even with 100%. all these tools. A hundred percent. And so are you. The other thing that I just want to point out is that from very young, women are also overly programmed to think that they should always be working on something about themselves. There's always something to fix. We are overly programmed for self-help and to be always, you know, whether it's our body that we're working on or something else. So the other thing that I just want to say too is, You are perfect exactly as you are. That doesn't mean that there aren't some things that aren't causing you some pain in your life, right? People pleasing can cause a lot of pain. That just seems to be a part of it. But there is nothing about you that is extra special, super broken. You're perfect. And if you want, if you found an area in your life, like you don't have the confidence you'd like to have and it's causing you some pain that's great, but it's not going to make you a better person. You are as valuable, worthy, and lovable right now as you ever will be. No one can take any of that away from you or give you any more. That's such an essential lesson. Is anyone else's neck sore from nodding and being like, yes, yes. I can't think of a better place to end than that. Um, This was just gold. And I thank you so much. Anything else from you before we wrap up? To, I Please, please, if you found today valuable, this is just a sliver of what Sarah has to offer. You can have her in your ear. If you find the X Good Girl podcast, you can find her people-pleasing course program and ways to work with her. If you want to strengthen your people-pleasing, non-people-pleasing muscles, Um, All that information will be in the show notes. Anything else, Sarah, before we 
wrap up today? I have just loved this conversation so much. And I really, there is nothing more essential, I think, than educating and validating and loving on young women. So I just, I love what you're doing. I feel the same. I feel the same because y'all are so worthy of that love. And as Sarah said, that love starts from within. You ain't broken. You don't need to be fixed. None of us are. You just need love. And that love starts with you. So why didn't they tell us that people-pleasing was just part of the package? One that, a, a practice that we learned from being babies. So it doesn't need to become a problem, but you can practice other ways to love and honor you, either through fierce and hard no tools or a loving and compassionate way. Sarah, thank you so much, my friends. Till next time. Hey, moms, just a quick moment for us. How awesome was Sarah? I just love how she talks about people pleasing and how she she really with compassion makes space for it. Uh, I just re-listened to the episode and it was very clear that I had a strong opinion about people pleasing. In my mind and in my practice, I think of it as something that will chip away at self-confidence and, and is often a symptom of a lack of self-confidence. You know, when you're people-pleasing, it's compromising you. And, and I think Sarah acknowledged that, but with such, you know, love and curiosity and compassion for what we go through and probably what our teens are going through. That Melanie Hall story really, really hit home. But I, I wanted to come back on here because if you're like me, and you see this people-pleasing tendency in your daughter and also think, oh no, this is wrong, this is bad, you might jump in there and start to fix it if your daughter was the Sarah or the Melanie Hall of the story, right, of telling her what to do. Mom, if this is you, please, I got something for you. Go to my website at confidencecoachforgirls.com and grab my guide, Six Simple Steps to help your teen cultivate confidence. I'll also include it in the show notes here. Uh, I thought it was just a, a great resource for you on the heels of this episode, and I hope it helps. I hope you check it out. Till next time. Love what you hear? Well, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at confidencecoachforgirls.com. That's confidencecoachforgirls.com or email me at lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. That's lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you.